Please grab a seat. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's well worth uh, turning to Colossians 2 as we continue our journey through this book together. We're in the second um, part of Colossians 2, halfway through the book uh, together. Uh, it's page 1016 in the church Bibles, if you've got one of those in front of you, if you're looking uh, for the passage. Um, let me start, uh, we're, we're in the second part of chapter 2, but we're going to start with this verse again uh, that we saw last week. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, uh, keep walking in him. Uh, today's word uh, in Colossians chapter 2, I think, is a word uh, from our God in season to us, wherever we are in that walk. Uh, it's firstly, it's a word for those who are walking with Christ Jesus and would say of their walk with him as they follow Jesus that you're, you're going quite strong. Uh, that you, you, you're going strong and you feel it, at least in part, that is because of things that you're doing as a Christian or uh, things that you've experienced as a Christian that give you sort of a sense that, well, it's going strong or, or even perhaps the opposite of that, things that you're avoiding uh, that give you a sense that, that you're on a strong path. Uh, it's a word, if our hearts feel that, to puncture proud hearts. Uh, on the flip side of that, I think it's also a word for those who may be walking with Christ Jesus, but as you walk with Christ Jesus, you're, you're anxious that your footing on that path might slip along the way. Uh, perhaps you look around uh, other people in the church or other Christians that you know, and you see their walk and how strong and sure and secure their walk looks compared to yours. And, and, and it's, uh, there is this sense that you wonder if you're going to stumble along the way. Uh, it's a word if your heart is there today to encourage fearful hearts. I also want to say it's a, it's a word if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether it's worth following Jesus, walking through life with him, and you're wondering wh whether walking with Jesus would look much different to life now for you. Well, again, it's a word for you. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to pray that God would prepare our hearts to hear his word, wherever we are in that spectrum, because it's a word for us. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know our hearts far better than we know them ourselves. And here is a word that cuts to the very heart of us. And so we pray, Father, that we would not have hard and defensive hearts as you speak your word to us, but that you would speak a word that would change our hearts. We ask this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Colossians 2 6 again so then just as you receive Christ Jesus keep walking in him and what we have here in Colossians 2 the bit that was read for us is is really three false paths that we could wander down as we try to walk with Christ uh, and it's going to show those paths to us but then it's also going to lead us to the only sure path that we should walk so let's look at each of them in turn. Here's the first one. If you've got the passage open there, look at verse 16 and 17. It's the, the shadowy path of religion. Uh, and essentially God's command to us in these two verses, 16 and 17, is this. As you walk with Christ, don't let religion judge you. Now verse 16, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Uh, we humans love religion. Uh, we love religion in all sorts of forms. And we love it, I think, because religion is all about us. 
Religion is about our effort. Religion gives us security because we're in control of it and it puts us right at the center of things. And that was a danger for the Colossian Christians. Uh, most of them were Gentile Christians, so they weren't from a Jewish background. And yet as they received Christ, they were receiving the Jewish Messiah. And as they received him, the, uh, Israel's Messiah and the, the, the religion of Israel came with all sorts of religious practices. And there would have been immense pressure for them as they established themselves as a church in Colossae to start to adopt these practices so that they would uh, have a sense of security that they were doing it right as those before them had done it uh, in, in a bid to ensure that their walk with Christ as it went on was legit. And I reckon there's probably two things that made Israel's religious practices especially attractive and tempting to adopt. The first is, well, just as, as I've said, the appeal of religion itself. Uh, the idea, the, the offer, the, the, the possibility that I can do something in my activity and, and my rituals and my practice that would actually secure and safeguard my relationship with God. Well, if there's something like that, then I want to do that just to make sure of it. So there's that appeal. And then there's this perhaps even stronger appeal. These are religious practices from the Jewish background that have a good origin. Uh, they were God-given practices. Uh, you read through the Old Testament and the distinct food practices that God gave his people was to set them apart as holy. And the special days that they were to observe, like the Sabbath, uh, were, were significant. They were to remember God's promised rest to them. And so these things had a, a good God-given origin. But what Paul says to the Colossian Christians, having received Christ as Lord, if you're walking in Christ, don't judge your relationship with God by these things. Because, do you see why, verse 17? These things, even these good things, these good practices of God's people in the Old Testament, they're, they're actually just a shadow. They're a shadow of things that were to come. They were hinting at something that was to come. The, the reality is found in Christ. You see, when God gave food instructions to uh, his Old Testament people to set them apart, it wasn't because of avoiding the foods literally made them holy. It was to show them and demonstrate to them day after day that God took holiness incredibly seriously. Uh, the food was foreshadowing that in order to be in the presence of God, you had to be holy. Uh, and yet all of it was pointing to the fact that the real and only and certain means of holiness was being in Christ. Now, the same is true of the Sabbath. Uh, uh, God didn't give his people the Sabbath so that they uh, wouldn't go to Westfield on Sunday. He did it because he wanted us to know his plans for us, to rest in him, to rest in right relationship with him. And again, it is in Christ alone that we find that rest. That is Jesus' promise, come to me and I will give you this rest. So here in uh, 2023, as we think about this first false path of the shadowy walk of, of religion, what, what sort of uh, religious observance might, might we be in danger of finding false security in? Well, we could pick all sorts of things, I think, but let's take one of the things Paul mentions here, the Sabbath. And more particularly, the, the religious observance that perhaps we've set for ourselves as a church. You might remember back at our vision dinner, we said, let's have the goal of being here 80% of the time. Uh, that, that's a religious observance. Let's hit 80%. It's maybe a lower goal than every Sunday, but let's go with that. Even that's religious, isn't it? What would Colossians 2, 16 and 17 say to such a goal? I think three things. Uh, 
Here's the first. It says you need to know that your relationship with God is not secured by the religious habit of being here each Sunday. In fact, to root your relationship uh, with Jesus on that is to root your relationship on your strength, not his. And in the end, that's a false security and it will fail us. But here's the second thing these passages say, especially as we look at verse 17. Conversely, you need to know that your relationship with God is not secured simply by freeing yourself from religious observance. Uh, you don't avoid the false security of religion simply by assuming that it doesn't matter whether you gather or not. Truth is, you not being here doesn't strengthen your relationship with Jesus either. Uh, to root your relationship with Jesus on uh, being free to not be here is to root your relationship perhaps on the old soil of past connection to him. If we're not regularly planting our life in our relationship with Jesus, hearing his word to us, instead what we're doing is that we're being nourished and being fed by well, what we fill the void with, our career or our family or our leisure or our hobbies or our children. A secure walk with Jesus uh, is not just paid by avoiding the shadows of religion and instead embracing the shadows of the world. It's by planting your root system, your whole life in Jesus, which of course is why we gather, to have that word dwell richly amongst us. Uh, here's a second false path for us. Uh, have a look at verses 18 and 19. It's the proud walk of experience. And God's command to us in these verses is this. As you walk with Christ, don't let experience of others disqualify you. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. You know, sometimes, I wonder if you felt this as a Christian, the spiritual experiences of other Christians can make your own life as a Christian, your own walk as a Christian, feel so anemic, so sort of shallow end Christian life, uh, as if you're not making the grade, as if, yeah, you would be disqualified. Paul says, see to it that no one disqualifies you based on their experience compared to yours. In fact, uh, I reckon these two verses uh, is Paul uh, laying the sarcasm on thick to make his point. Have a look with me. You'll see it there. Verse 18. Firstly, he says, the one who finds strength in their experiences, so that's the strength of their relationship, they're always so humble. Uh, and, and that strikes a chord with me. I, I remember going on a camp years ago when I, I went as a junior leader on this uh, summer camp, and I remember being uh, destabilised in this very way by a, a guy by the name of, we'll call him Phil, because that was his name. Um, <laughs> And he, he said this, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm just a normal guy. He said it over and over again, but God is using me powerfully. And he wants to use you powerfully. There's so much more for you. I remember leaving the camp, marvelling at Phil, wishing I had his faith, wishing I had his closeness to God. And then uh, here's the next thing about uh, the person who bases their walk with Jesus on their, on their experiences. Uh, verse 18, then there's their worship. It's so spiritual, so angelic, we're told. Uh, uh, and such worship can be intimidating, can't it? Why, why can't I worship like that? Uh, I'm missing something. Uh, maybe that's why I'm not growing as a Christian. And then verse 18 again, then there's their experience of the things that God has shown them. 
It's easy to be intimidated by the one who has stories of uh, visions from God or miracles or experiences. Now, uh, these are God-given things and they're not to be sneezed at by any stretch. But uh, if we ourselves don't have these things, it's, it's easy to look at that and think, you know, maybe I'm at the shallow end. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I'm not doing it right. And then, verse 18, the sarcasm goes a bit deeper. Then there's, their, well, just their superiority. They are puffed up. But this is what makes such a person intimidating, isn't it? They're just so big, at least in their minds and perhaps in ours. They'd never say they're superior because, remember, they're so humble. But, verse 18, they are puffed up, we're told, for no reason. It's just hot air. And, in fact, finally, in verse 19, Paul applies the pin. Such a person seems spiritual, but they're, in fact, the opposite. In all their bigness, they've become disconnect, disconnected from the true head, that is Jesus. It's like there's only room for one big head. It's either their big head or Jesus, and they've chosen theirs. And so they disconnect from the real head, Christ. Now, what are we to make of this? So I want to suggest that uh, the answer to such intimidation is not just in our lives to root out any sort of connection to anybody who seems super spiritual and, and that all might keep us safe. And well, all it does is leave a vacuum that all too quickly we fill with some other sort of superiority. Uh, I'm an evangelical. I'm a Bible person or whatever it may be. Paul's point to us here is this. Don't be intimidated by a person who in their walk with Jesus leaves you more excited about them or yourself rather than Christ. We need to lead each other to be thrilled with Christ rather than ourselves. Uh, one, one other false path. Have a look at verse 20 to 23. Here's, a, here's the third false path. It's, I've gone with the bankrupt walk of rules. And God's command to us in these verses, as you walk with Christ, don't be dictated to by rules, human rules. Uh, verse 20, he reminds us of our identity that we've seen so far in this letter, that uh, remember you died with Christ and you were raised again. You've been made alive in him. You're, you're now part of God's kingdom. You're under his rule. So why would you uh, submit yourselves to human rules? Our human rules can make us feel so safe, can't they, and secure, because again, we're at the center of them. But we're told here, rules can't change our hearts. Rules can't curb our flesh. I reckon the false security of rules is such a danger for us as Christians. I was trying to think of an example of this. Let me, let me give you one example. But I, I reckon this is well worth thinking about in our small groups this week, the, the danger that rules can place us, uh, give us a false sense of security. But here's one for parents. I reckon parents of, of all stages of raising children can be intimidated by rules. Uh, we are, as parents, playing a constant comparison game with, with others, especially other parents who are trying to raise their children as followers of Jesus. And we're anxious to have the right rules in place, feeling uh, even at points judged when our rules or our plans are different to, well, those and the decisions of others. I mean, what are, what are the rules that are going to keep my children walking with Jesus? As you think about trying to secure the path of your children by rules, here's a few things to think about. Firstly, you need to see from what we're seeing in this passage that their relationship with Jesus is not secured by keeping these rules. Verse 23, do you see what it says there? The rules have no value. 
to root their relationship with Jesus on, on keeping uh, these rules is to plant them in the soil of their own strength. And to quote Jesus to the Apostle Peter in Luke 22, you're not as strong as you think you are. It leaves our children with a, a graceless view of God that's all about their performance. But here's the flip side. You also need to know from this passage that your child's relationship with God is not strengthened by you or them having no rules because you claim that you're all about grace or freedom. That's not a plan. That's a delusion. Truth is, our children are immersed in a culture with relent a relentless rule book. It's all around them. Their peers have rules. Their social media has rules. Their school has rules. Their own heart makes rules. You name it. And it places all sorts of rules of conformity on them. And they're endlessly anxious that if they break one, they'll be excluded. A casual parenting approach that says we don't make rules, our children are free, just leaves them exposed to the graceless and strict and often destructive rules of the culture around them. So if binding our children to our own anxious sort of bumper bowling rules is not the way forward to keep them safe, and if leaving them prey to the graceless rules of our culture won't keep them safe, what, what is the way forward? Well, again, it is planting the root system of their lives in their relationship with Jesus. If we find our child's walk with Jesus faltering or we're anxious that it is, we need to see that our children do not need to keep the rules better or be freed from rules more. They need to see Jesus more clearly. Our job is not merely to set the rules for their work, walk, but to persevere through all the waxes and wanes of uh, leading them as parents in setting their hearts, we see this in chapter 3, on things above, setting their minds on things above, because only he can change their heart. And that's true in the long term, and sometimes for us as parents, it's a long journey with ups and downs. Now, we've seen three false paths. Just before we finish, I, I want to show you the, the other thing that Paul gets, uh, makes clear for us in this passage, and that is that there is a sure walk of faith. I wonder if you've noticed the problem with the, these false paths, rules, experience, religion. Uh, do you see where the root system is based in all of them? It's based in you, me. It's only as strong as you are. The root system of these paths is an inward root system. It's a bit like if you went to Bunnings this afternoon and you bought a little plant in a pot and uh, you, you fed and you watered that plant, but you kept it in this tiny little pot. Eventually, the root system would just grow in on itself and it would get weak and hollow and fruitless. And well, that's what these paths lead to. But it is possible to walk with surety. And the reason is, the reason it's possible is because the strength comes not from you or me, it comes from Christ in you. Paul wants the Colossians to know that having received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's not just the beginning of their walk, it's where their walk will always be. The purpose uh, really God has for us in life can be summed up in three words. If, if you've got the passage open there, if you flick back to chapter 1, verse 27, you'll see it there. Here's God's purpose for you to have Christ in you. Christ in you. To walk with surety, you need to see Christ clearly, you need to see yourself clearly, and you need to know that by faith, now Christ is in you. So just briefly, let's see each of those things. Firstly this, and this is what we've seen all through this letter, see Christ. 
if you're not going to be intimidated as you walk, you, you need to see just how wonderful Christ is. It's very, very possible to overestimate how wonderful you are or, or I am, but it's impossible to overestimate how wonderful he is. He is full. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He is, you see there 2 verse 9, he is the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells. In him nothing is lacking. He's extraordinary. And so as you walk, don't fix your eyes on your own religion or your own experiences or your own rules. Fix your eyes on something that is strong enough and full enough to carry you as you walk Christ. Secondly, and this is perhaps more embarrassing, see yourself. The problem with relying on rules or religion or experience is that they're often based on a faulty view of ourselves. And I was trying to think of an illustration of that and my mind went back to, I used to work at a squash center. I've never played a game of squash in my life, so I wasn't a great employee. But um, in this squash center, uh, I, uh, people would come in for different bookings. And one particular day, there's a couple of guys came in and they'd never played squash before. So near the end of their go, where they'd not had much clue what they were doing, they came out and asked me to give them some advice, some tips. And so I just thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of meant to know what I'm doing. So I went into the court with them and I'm giving them some advice and showing them how to hit into the corner. And this is all going. But unbeknownst to me, I, my advice had gone on for so long that the, the booking was over and it was time for the next person and there's a tap on the glass door behind us and, uh, and appearing at the glass door, I think we've got a picture of her, uh, is Michelle Martin. Uh, now, if you know anything about squash, which, as I said, I don't, um, that is the world champion, Michelle Martin, a many-time world champion who happened to practice at that set of courts. And here is this clown inside pretending he knows what to do. And as we're leaving the court, there's these guys going, thanks, you know so much about squash. And I'm thinking, <laughs> and I reckon that's what we do as Christians the longer we walk. We start to kid ourselves that we are world champions. But Colossians is the tap on the door for us. Colossians 2.13, do you see what you bring to the picture? You were dead. Dead in your sins. Dead in the uncircumcision of your own sinful nature. Unable to remove that from yourself. Given that's our situation, seriously, what use is a religious ritual? or a lofty experience or a checklist of rules when I am skin deep in my own sin. But see the life-changing events that happen when you receive Christ Jesus. Now that you've received Christ by faith, Christ is in you. And so what happens to him happens to you. And that matters because have a look at verse 11. It says, his death is the death of your sinful nature. Verse 12 is, he is laid in the grave on that first Good Friday. So too by faith is your old sinful nature, dead and buried. That's bigger than rules, isn't it? And the goal of the death of your old self on that cross, in that grave, well, the Easter Sunday is the goal. Again, verse 12, it means you can be raised with him through faith. What happens to him happens to you. That's my identity. I was dead in my sins. I died with him. I'm now raised as a forgiven man. That's the security of my walk. And so Colossians 2, I think, is a word to our hearts, whether our heart thinks in pride, I'm doing well and I'm walking on in my own strength, or perhaps fearful hearts as we walk and we grow anxious that our feet might slip. It's a, it's a word that says, take courage, Christ is in you. Uh, let me finish with this. Uh, in the words of my favourite sportsman, uh, here's how to view your walk. Look at the scoreboard. 
Uh, my favourite sportsman, probably most of you have never heard of, his name is Tony Liberatore. Has anyone heard of Tony Liberatore? There's about, oh, that's great. Uh, he, is, uh, he played in the 80s and 90s for my AFL team that my father handed on to me as his father handed on. They're a terrible team, uh, the Western Bulldogs. They lost again last night. Um, but he was, he, Tony was about four foot tall. Uh, I think we've got a picture of him. Uh, there he is. And um, uh, one particular game, by some quirk of history and events, we actually were winning. And um, we were up by miles in this particular game. And right near the end of the game, this much stronger, more powerful team that we were beating by miles, uh, near the end of the game, Tony was decked by one of the players in the other team for no reason other than maybe the score. And uh, my, it's my favourite moment on a sporting field. There is this four-foot man decked on the ground with a huge grin on his face and he simply raises his arm and he points at the scoreboard. And I want to say that's what we as Christians can do. And that's where the direction of the arrow should be. I wonder if you heard it in our first reading, Zechariah 3. It's one of my favourite passages in all of Scripture. There is Joshua, the priest, ready to serve God. And yet Satan's there as well. And he says, look at him. He's a joke. He's a disgrace. Look at his filthy clothes. He has no right to be there. And did you hear God's response? He rips off those clothes, he gives him new clothes, and he sends Satan packing. So it is with us. When you are intimidated by whether it be religion or rules or experiences or your own uncertainties as a Christian, verse 14 and 15 of our passage is us extending the arm and pointing at the scoreboard. Christ is in you. Satan loses. God wins. Christian, having received Christ Jesus as Lord, keep walking in him. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your very great love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is full and strong and supreme and sure. Uh, help us not to walk in our strength, but in him. And we pray through that, Father, you would continue to grow us to be more like him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.